The audio content of this podcast may not be suitable for all audiences or listening locations. Explicit language, situations, and viewpoints may be expressed that may offend certain listeners. Those listeners may piss off. Hello, everyone. It is, uh, I think it's Wednesday, maybe Thursday. I really don't know what day it is. I am the Fat Man Farmer, and this is We Wild Woman and the Fat Man Farmer podcast. And we, of course, is not with us again today. She is in her tween years, which is in between being a kid and a teenager, and she likes to do her own thing lately of arts and crafts. So she decided to stay home. I'm on my way to Indy because this is about the only free time I have to sit and record, and it's been a while since we've talked to you guys again. That's partially my fault just because I like having her here as it keeps me on topic and she can read while I'm driving and, you know, we have that good banter going back and forth. So today we're going to talk about uh, buying and selling whole meat from the farm. So I see a lot of people who are looking for local um, meat raised by farms to cut out the processed, uh, mass-produced meat that you get at the store, also because of prices uh, increasing or shortages where you can't find certain items. So I'm going to talk about from both a producer standpoint and a consumer standpoint, because at one time we were the consumers, and there's a lot of things you don't know the first time you're doing this that might be helpful to convey or what to ask or what to look for. So, again, because she's not here, I'm going to ramble, so be prepared. I'm going to try and do the best I can staying on a certain topic. So, let's talk about the different kinds of meat that typically you can buy off the farm, um, straight off the farm, which legally you can buy chicken, turkey, duck, rabbit, I believe quail, all straight from the farmer without any kind of processing or... Um, inspection and things. Um, They can process up to, I want to say, 10,000 birds a year without special, uh, uh, what am I calling it, permits or uh, regulations. And, you know, it is probably going to be more expensive than what you would buy at the store. Um, If you think what it takes to raise these birds and then butcher them and then you know, sell them to you, and it's about twenty to thirty dollars a bird. Sometimes four and five dollars a pound. That's what it takes to raise these birds in eight weeks worth their feed costs. When you look at the big commercial systems, they're getting their feed at incredible discounts. Typically, a lot of these big farms actually farm their own grains and. Uh, feed, so that means they're not necessarily having to pay for it. When you're buying in the smaller portions, like a homestead, so being 20 to 100 birds at a time, that price goes up significantly. Um, but it's a different quality of meat. You have different types of chickens. There is the Cornish Cross, which is what typically a lot of people raise for meat birds. Then you have Um, more free-ranging birds, which would be Freedom Rangers or Red Rangers or different versions of it. Um, But those take a little bit longer to raise, but they also forage, and the meat is more flavorful in my opinion. Um, So when you're trying to find somebody, you know, some of these birds are raised in tractors, which is basically a mobile cage that you move every so often. They get fresh grass, fresh air out of the sun. The Compared to the birds that you get in a commercial operation, they're in a giant chicken house. They pretty much never see the light of day. Um, and that's not all operations, but for the most part, that's what it is. Um, now, a lot of homesteaders are getting into wanting to raise their birds, but then when it comes time to processing, they either don't have the skill, don't want to do it, or don't have the time to do it. We got into our first round of meat birds, I think we did about 20 the first time, and it took us, ooh, the first bird was maybe 20 minutes 
from start to finish, from killing it to putting it in a, um, what do you call it, vacuum bag or heat shrink bag. And as we started doing these more and more often, our time to process them got down. So, And it's only two of us who are doing this. When you have a team working on it, it goes a lot faster because you have more hands doing like an assembly line kind of system. Um, so, you know, that was part of our learning curve. Um, we don't part out our birds. We basically and then shrink wrap the entire carcass because that's mainly how we cook it. Uh, there's a lot less, in our opinion, waste. Um, a lot of people just want the boneless, skinless breast, but then there's a lot of meat left over, and what are you doing with that? And then you have the carcass, and what are you doing with that? And if you're smart about it, you would use each part for different you know, parts of your family's meals, and then say the carcass, which is, or the, uh, the leftover pieces that you know don't have a lot of meat, like the rib meat and things like this, it's the chicken frame, you can boil those for chicken soup, or you can, um, again, boil them for the meat off of it and use that for shredded chicken or canned chicken, uh, chicken stock. So there's a lot of different things you can do with it. But we just feel in our homestead, we use the whole birds, um, either put the whole thing in a crock pot, the whole thing in the oven for beer butt chicken, whole thing in for the smoker for beer butt chicken, or cook it on the open fire pit was one of our favorites lately. Um, okay, so that's kind of chicken. And now we haven't processed turkey, so I can't really speak much to that. It's pretty much the same way. Um, you, If you're going to be processing your own, there's some certain equipment that are must-haves. There are some that are like-to-haves. So, you know, good knives are good. Some people are using poultry shears to cut different parts of it. Um, you can use a chicken plucker. Um, we've tried using it. The one we had, we borrowed. It wasn't a strong enough motor. We're going to plan on building our own. Uh, but you can also buy them, but those are running $400 a piece. Um, you'll need a scalder, which is typically a big pot on a turkey burner or a grill burner or something. Um, killing cones are great. Some people do it, some people don't. Um, I, my was piece. You can make your own or you can buy them. Um, I mean, for the purest of necessities, you need a good sharp knife, um, a scalding tank, and that's about it. good about it, you would collect the blood when you process them into a bucket. There's different ways to do that. And use that in your garden or maybe give it a little extra to your dogs and cats as a bonus. I mean, it's almost a waste if you just let it go to the ground. Always add it to your compost. There's lots of good uh, beneficial nutrients and minerals in that blood. Um... You could save the feathers, but they're really not worth a lot. Basically, we just compost them. Um, all of the innards, we either give to the dogs, cats, or the pigs. Um, you can also compost those as well. Um, some people eat hearts and livers and gizzards and things like that. Not our cup of tea, but if it is for you, great. It's more, you know, waste not, want not. Let's see. I think that's about it. Um... But you'll need to get a high-protein feed if you're raising your own. Um, I want to say in the 20% range is ideal. And different ways to get that protein in there. Some people use soy. Some people you want to use non-soy. So that means peanuts or other type of legumes in there. Um, it just depends on what your preference are. The more select your feed is, the higher it's going to cost you. So if you think raising chickens on your own is going to be cheaper than buying one at the store, it's not. It does have a different flavor. It does have, you know where your food comes from. You know what has happened to it. There's no extra, you know, injected, sal not saline, but they do um, hydrate them with different materials. It's not, you know, raised here, processed in China, and shipped back, which is now a legal process. Um... 
you know, it, there's different reasons for wanting to do it yourself, and that's up to you. Um, there are some chicken processors who will process the chickens for you. Um, and, you know, because you guys are listening all over, you know, basically the world, I know in our state we have a few, but then there are restrictions on how many you can bring in at a time. You know, these processors are not looking to do five to ten birds at a time because that's what you raise. They're looking to do 50, 100, 1,000 or more, you know, per order. They are either have lots of skilled labor in there doing it or it's an automated process. Um, if you have Amish in your area, they also typically will process birds for you. Uh, good luck on Googling them or trying to find them. It's kind of a word or mouth thing. Them and the whole not using technology. A lot of them are getting better that they have what they call English, who are all of us non-Amish people, who work with them and is kind of their intermediary. It just depends on what their particular community will allow. That if they network with a, an English to kind of put their services out there online or help maintain an online presence for them, then that is a big bonus for them, but they're not technically using it. It just kind of depends on what their community wants to do. And I'm rambling. So, um, you know, you cannot legally, let me put that in there, legally, you can do it if you want, and lots of people do do it, but legally you cannot process and sell red meat on your own farm. I recently learned you cannot sell livestock uh, game, so that means deer or any other thing that you've caught um, trapping or hunting. Um, it's illegal to do that. Period. Um, so that was something that was brought to my attention as well. Selling or trading, or I believe you can't even give it away. So you know, government and the rules, and you know, all know how we feel about that. So. That goes back to, you know, how do you find somebody who is raising your meat? You can go to different, um, there's different Facebook groups, and that's kind of, they're starting to put the kibosh on that so that you can't even advertise anymore. Sometimes it's word of mouth. Sometimes it's you can find them at the 4-H fair, um, your local one. The local, to, more local to you, the better it's going to be. It's, it's less of a drive. You have a local processor. You can probably go visit that farm or at least talk to the person in uh, you know in person or whatever but once you find somebody you like it's typically you'll stay with them year after year we had for instance when we started buying we uh, bought random from different people and each time we did for beef it was a different process it was a different person um how it was set up, what you expected, how they raised it. So we've ended up finding somebody local to us when we moved to Greencastle, and we've bought from her every year except for one year, and it sucked. We were used to a certain flavor, a certain how she raised it, which she does grass-fed, grass and hay-fed, and then finishes on a little bit of grain. year she was not able to get processing dates we uh or she didn't have she was raising this year she was going through some personal things and we ended up having to find somebody online that who happened to have beef at the time it was processed at a facility we don't typically use and we are not happy the, the beef was really fatty so i'm guessing it was fed a lot of grain it wasn't as tender so we have no idea how old it was um, typically, we get uh, a year to two-year-old steer from our usual place. Um, and the best way to find these people is, is word of mouth. If you know of people who are buying, ask them who they use. Are they happy? Is, are they picking random people, or do they have somebody that they regularly regularly use? Um, and then, you know, how is it set up? So, everybody is different on how they sell their beef. We'll go with beef for this seller animal. Um, and it could be you're paying for the live weight, which is what it goes in while it's still breathing, the weight of the animal, to the processor. You could have be paying carcass weight, which is after they take the skin and most of the organs out, the head out, 
um, you're left with what the hanging carcass weight is, and that's where it will usually age. And that price is usually higher than the live weight because you're paying for that extra bit of processing and the farmer is losing out some of that money. I'll tell you why later on of why there's a price difference. Why are you paying for something that's being thrown away? Um, well, we'll tell it now because I'll probably forget. So when you take it to different processors and you pay for the live weight price, everything on that animal is yours from the snout to the tail to the hoofs to the top. So if you wanted to be creative and you had the time and maybe the skill, you could get the hide, tan the hide, use it as leather, use it as a rug. Use it for whatever you want because you paid for it. Same way with the hooves, the horns, the head. All of that could be used for something or you could sell it or you, you know, there's lots of money for um, cows with horns for different craft ideas and things but that's typically you have to go pick that up the same day the same day that they process it and if you don't have the time or anything that's you know it's a waste product for the most part that they're having to pay to get rid of the processor but you could get that that's part of the price you're paying of paying for a whole animal live weight um I don't know of any processors that will save the blood as of now, but then again, I've never asked. So that may be an option, it may not. It just depends on what your processor does or what the processor uses. Um, sometimes they won't, sometimes they've never had somebody ask before. Two of our processors we really like. One of them uh, will do those extra things for me when I call, one of them won't. And you know that's just that's their business model, that's their process, and it's it doesn't make sense for them to do it. Um, okay, so you've got your two ways of paying. Now, some people will sell individual cuts of meat, so they'll take everything out of the cow, have it processed into certain cuts, certain sizes, and then they can sell that meat to you. That meat is supposed to be legally, again here, um, processed at a USDA facility which means it's processed the exact same way as other uh, facilities using, for the most part, the same equipment, the same type of things, except for there is a FDA inspector, USDA, not FDA, uh, inspector sitting in the process room that looks at the meat. Doesn't do anything, doesn't grade it, doesn't do anything other than saying, yep, it's good to go, there's no kinds of issues. Now, the processors would do this exact same thing. If an animal looks contaminated or has some sort of issues, they usually don't process it any further. Um, but you have that USDA inspector there, and sometimes that is a extra charge, and sometimes it's not. Sometimes the processor eats that charge, sometimes the farmer eats that charge. Like I said, everywhere is different, so you need to ask some of these questions of, who pays for that? Is there a price difference? Don't make the assumption because, like I said, everybody's different. Um, okay, so USDA versus non-USDA, which is usually a custom-exempt processing. Um, then there's different types of you know, processing to go into there. If you buy the whole animal, typically you're the one who's telling the processor how to cut it. And either you call them or they'll call you or sometimes they have online forms that you can fill out. And if you've never done this before, call them and ask them and tell them that you've never done this before. Almost every processor will walk you through what the different steps are, what the different cuts are, how you want different things. And if you don't know, maybe get online and get some education from like the bearded butchers or some of these other places of what different cuts are, where it comes from the cow, um, or other animal, and what you family typically eats. I mean, if you wanted to take a steer in and get it all into hamburger or ground beef, great. That's a lot of ground beef. Um, to give you an example, we just recently had a cow processed for us. It was 1,600 pounds live weight. We probably got about 1,000 pounds back. Um, and of that, that steaks, roasts, bones, fat, and anything that wasn't necessarily a cut of meat, you know, a standard cut, we got processed into ground, 
and that was 210 pounds alone of ground. So you're talking, that's a lot of ground beef. But if that's all you eat, that's all you eat. Sometimes that's a better process. So if it's an older cow or um, maybe it's a dairy cow, not necessarily a meat cow, because that there is a difference. Again, you need to ask your, your farmer what their process kind of beef. Um, and, you know, that might be the better option if you're not getting the best cut steaks or they're going to be tough or maybe it's, you know, different reasons to have it ground. Um, anyway, so if you've never done it before, call them and have them walk you through the process. Now, something that we learned later, and I wish we would have learned it sooner, is you, if you put the soup bones back, if you want the long bones for your dogs, you have to ask for that. They don't typically give that back to you. So when you're going through your, your cut sheet with the processor, tell them that you want those things if you do. Otherwise, they go to the trash. Um, it's not like they are selling those. I mean, some of them can sell those bones. So if you paid for the whole cow, now somebody else is making money off of money you've already spent. So we always ask for everything they can legally give us when we have an animal processed. Um, so this last time we got probably ooh, 50, 60 pounds of fat off of the cow. And what are you going to do with fat? You render that into beef tallow. And beef tallow is the equivalent of lard from a pig. How do you do that? It's pretty easy. There's lots of different videos and things on how to do it. I think we even talked about it in one of the earlier podcasts. Um, we got all of the bones as well. So once they've taken all of the steaks and roasts and cut the bones that are left, we wanted those back because you can roast those for bone broth or making stock, um, using it for flavorings. Uh, we've given them to our dogs as an extra treat. So, you know, don't let that money go to waste that you've paid for. We give you a story of somebody once who bought a pig from us and this was back when we were charging like a dollar a pound so it was like really cheap it was a 380 pound ish pig then they had to pay for processing and they called us and they were extremely upset about how they could have a 380 pound pig and only get like 70 pounds back and she's very displeased and she just wanted to tell me how she complained well what she didn't tell me is that she split that pig with her son, so she only got half of that weight. Then there is the whole, the butcher stole my meat, which I'll get into. Um, but then she got everything boneless, did not get the lard, did not get the organ meat. So she paid for a lot of stuff that she chose to throw away, and then she's mad at me because she didn't understand. So she didn't understand the process. I tried to explain to her this, and despite my explaining that she chose boneless cuts, she chose to trim all of the fat off of her cuts, she chose not to keep her fat or any of the organ meat, and that was a lot of wasted money that she spent because she could have gotten those things. So she still was unhappy and she'd never do business with again. Well, that was fine. You know, the fact that she expects... 300 plus pounds, 380 pounds of meat out of a 380 pound pig, it, it doesn't work that way. So when I say the butcher stole my meat, if you, you can Google this, and there's actually a, a flyer for it from Penn State University or there's other places, so usually ag schools have it. And some people want to complain that, you know, when you take your animal in, your cow, your sheep, your pig, or even your deer, and it comes in, let's say, you know, like at 1,600 pounds, I'll use our example, 1,600 pounds live weight, and then we get 1,000 pounds of hanging weight. Well, where'd that 600 pounds go? No, the, they're not stealing meat. That's the hide. The hide takes a huge amount of weight. You have the blood, you have all of the intestines, the stomach, um, you know, the digestive tract, the throat, the lungs. All of that is part of that weight. And unless you're going to be using it, and unless your processor will allow you to have it, you know, that's just part of it. 70%. So 
when you're looking at a, a live weight to a hanging weight, for beef, it's an average of 70%. So you know, you'll average 70% of your live weight you could possibly get back. And for pork, it's approximately 60%. And for sheep and goats, I'm going to say goats may or may not be in this category. For the the flyer that I have, it just says sheep, and that's 50% um, is going to go to waste. So that's the hide, the you know the heads and these kinds of things, the hooves. Now, when we take our sheep in, we ask for the hides, the heads, the hooves as well. So that isn't a, an accurate number for us because we'll tan those sheep hides. We'll use those heads if they have decent horns on them and process those and sell the heads. Um, we've gotten as much for just the skull alone as we've gotten for the entire animal sometimes. So you got to think about, you know, waste not, want not. The same way with pig. Um, you know, that hanging weight includes your lard and your fat. So if you're not getting that back, your number is going to go down. If you're not getting bone-in cuts, your percentage of what you're getting back is going to go down. So I think that's a lot of misconception about people who are buying meat that don't understand that there is waste in this process. When you say it's a you know thousand-pound animals, you're not getting a thousand pounds back, and it all depends on how you're cutting it and what are you doing. How, do you want all the fat trimmed? How thick do you want different things? Do you want bone in, bone out? Um, so just completely subjective to each individual cuts. Now, from a pro, uh, I guess a producer standpoint, I wish people knew these things. So you know, going into it, you know what you, you know, the sheep is going to weigh, what the sheep is going to produce for you, or the pig, or these kinds of things. Um, know that if you are buying cuts of meat from your farmer you're going to pay a higher premium for your steaks and these just like at the grocery store because if you take all the steaks and roast they're left with all of the cuts that nobody typically eats or the organs and those kinds of things so then what they have to charge a higher premium for those to offset those things that they are not able to sell or not able to sell as much of a profit um most so you know see what else we can talk about some of this um, some processors will use uh, freezer wrap uh, butcher wrap paper some will use vacuum sealing uh, we've used in processors with both so um, we use rice quality meats down in Spencer Indiana and then Fender four star is our prime who is also in Spencer our primary uh, go to for any animals that we have processed and that's where we typically like to if we're buying an animal from somebody else to have it processed for us so give you the two differences rice as is usda inspected or not so um i don't believe there is a price difference with rice if you have it inspected or not but it goes through the exact same process with the same people with the same equipment um whether the inspector is there or not. You just have select days that the inspector is on site or certain days that he's there. So that changes when you can have your animals processed. Um, Rice also does uh, flavorings for brats, which Fender does not. They do vacuum sealing versus freezer wrap. Um, They do custom labels. So you could have your own farm logo and whatnot information on those packages. So this would be if you're going to sell out of your farm different packages of processed meat. So if you're going to sell steaks, or you're going to sell brats, or you're going to sell ground beef, you could have your farm logo on there, your farm information um, on those labelings. Now Fender doesn't do that because they're not an inspected facility, so you wouldn't legally, again, be able to sell meat from there. They're, not that there's anything wrong with the meat, it's just the whole inspection process that needs to go through. Now, this is in my county, in my state, which is Putnam County and the state of Indiana. So, your area may have different laws or different regulations. So, you may need to investigate that a little bit further. So, I'm speaking from my knowledge in my area. 
I want to say that's a federal thing, not 100%. Some states are different. I was recently listening to a podcast where they're starting to be okay with state-inspected facilities to be able to sell packaged meat as well. I think that was Oklahoma and possibly Texas. So some of the places where meat is regularly and thoroughly produced. Anyway, so um, some other differences, you know, um, both facilities offer smoking um, as an option. Um, I want to say both facilities will not smoke an intact boar. Um, and that's because if there is boar taint in the meat, it can possibly affect all the other meat in the smoker. So um, when meat goes into the smoker, it's not just your meat. It's any of the other meats that need to go. Now, yours would be on separate trays or separate, you know, it's identified as your meat. But it's uh, it's going to be, uh, it could possibly contaminate through the, the smell. I personally have never had boar taint. I don't, we've had boars processed. We didn't notice anything. It's certain boars at certain times and certain people who can tell it. So some people will say never process a boar. Some people say they can't tell the difference. So we personally have never been able to tell it. But then again, we may not have had that certain uh, stars line up that it was a boar at a certain time. And it was processed in a certain way. Um, to my knowledge right now, there are no mobile processors in Indiana. And they are doing this in Oklahoma, which is part of that podcast I listened to. And uh, that helps with a lot of things that you're not having to transport the animal. There's no kinds of issues at the facility. Um, so when I say this, that there can be possibilities of animals going through trauma or being transported or going through the kill area and you know that can have an effect on the meat um, everything we've seen when we've been in our processors that's not an issue they're pretty easy with the animals you know a tap on the butt to get them to move um, they're stunned when they go through a gate and they're not like in another area where they're watching their other pigs being killed or anything and there's separate rooms from the kill area to the processing area so they'll go into one room stunned they're then bled and moved or moved and then bled into the next area so at no point are they smelling the blood of you know, other animals or hearing them cry or anything like this they're not processed live um and different processors have different, you know, methodologies. I know some do and some do not process halal, which is a you basically are able to say a prayer over the animal and they bleed them out without stunning them or, you know, uh, they're processed alive. Um, that's kind of a cultural thing. So, you know, if that's up your alley, you need to ask, is that processor doing that? Um, now, I do know some pro uh, farmers will allow different ethnic groups to process on their farm. Uh, to my knowledge, it's kind of in the gray area of legality. So, it depends on how you're wording it and how you're doing it. Are you selling them an animal and just allowing them to process their animal on your facility or your property? That's one thing. If you're selling them a process, you're processing it for them on your property, that's a different case. So, you know, to my knowledge, I've not known anyone who has gotten in trouble for allowing someone to process their animal on their facility or on their property. Um, again... Our rules here in Indiana versus other places may be different. Uh, let's see what else can we talk about the, the processing and everything. Uh, you know, think about what your family eats and how it's packaged. Do you like thick cut steaks? Do you like bone in steaks? Do you want your meat packaged in, um, so like ground beef packaged in one pound, two pound, one and a half pound? They can do any of it. Um, same way goes for, for pigs and whatnot. 
smoking, you know, your bacon. Always get the jowl bacon. That's another kind of bacon if you didn't know. So there's pork belly bacon and there's jowl bacon. And jowl comes from the cheek. Uh, it's going to be sliced just the same and smoked, and it's just as good. Um, it just won't be in the long strips. Um, a lot of this is kind of what you're used to um, and how you want it processed and knowing your farmer. So it, it can be cheaper for you to buy it locally, and it can be more expensive. It just depends on what you're looking for and how you're going to get it processed. So to give you an example of our, our beef that we bought, we paid $2 a pound live weight, I believe. And, you know, how you come up with these numbers is another issue. So let me digress on that for a minute. Some people go with the market pricing, which is, if you didn't know, if you ever listened to the ag reports on the radio, that's where those market prices come from. It's what the sales are going for at market, so which is the big auctions or the sales barns, what the average price is for stuff going into big meat processing. And um, it's a commodities market, so that's where you're you're getting your numbers from. Some people will go with that. Some people think that their meat is a higher quality than that, so they charge more. Some people roll in the processing to it as well, so they pay the processing. You pay them per pound of live weight or carcass weight. Um, for our situation, we paid for live weight and we paid the processor. And the reason that is a better option for most farmers is because people can have so many different ways to process it, and depending on the processor, each little add-on can be, you know, add up to more of a cost. If you have all the meat smoked, that's, you know, an additional upcharge. If you're wanting all brats, that's an upcharge. If you want different seasonings for sausage, that's an upcharge. Um, give you an example of upcharges. We booked an appointment months in advance, like almost eight months in advance at a local processor. And come time for it to, to be processed, I had to load the animals the night before because my wife was going on a, a business trip. I was going to take them down in the morning. Well, I had never heard from the processor to confirm our appointment call them, you know, that evening and said, hey, you know, what is your guys' process? Where do I need to go? Is there a certain gate? Is there a certain time? Um, what do you need to know from me before showing up? Well, your sheep need to be shorn. I'm like, uh, they're already loaded on the trailer and there's no way for me to get them off. Well, that'll be a $25 per animal fee. Wow, that's never happened to me before. None of my other processors wanted them shorn, but okay. Then we wanted our heads and hides back. Well, that was $25 per head, $25 per hide. And then we also wanted our organ meat, which was $6 to add the extra organ meat. Um, so in the end, before we even got to the weights of these animals... They were wanting $1,000 for five animals to be processed. To compare that to our other processors we've used, it was $60 per animal, that's it. Um, and that's no matter what the weight was. Now, prices have gone up since then, but talking $1,000 plus, plus, let me give you, plus, uh, I want to say it was like $0.80 cents per pound live weight to process there's no way we could have ever made money on these animals having to sell them for that much so you know oh and let me give you some more on this so the same processor wanted me to pay for the cardboard boxes that they came in I had to pay extra for the packaging I mean every little thing was a nickel and dime to add up to an incredible amount of money for processing animals and even then, I'm like, okay, I can't do this. This is this is ridiculous to be able to pay this much for paying for my own animals to get the stuff y'all are going to throw away. Well, that's just our policy. I said, then cancel my appointment. 
Well, then they wanted me to pay $25 per animal for cancellation. So, you know, like I said, we never have used that processor. We'll never use that processor. Never recommend anyone else to use that processor. And I don't say their names publicly um, for fear of getting legal repercussions, but that's my experience with them, so I don't see how I could get any legal action. I just don't want any more harassment from them. So because I wouldn't pay their $25 cancellation fee, they billed me every month with at a 20% interest rate for over a year for those five sheep. They finally gave up after a year. And I stopped answering my phone. So anyway, that was my experience. So that was one bad experience with one processor that we've ever had. Um, some other processors, so there are some Amish processors. Um, you know, we've, we've dealt with them before. Not a bad experience, not a good one. It just, we prefer our, our, our standard two. We know what to expect. We know what's coming in. Um, the Amish didn't offer some of our, our the, the things, the light, nice things that we like to have. Um, but, you know, there is an option. They do that for a lot of people. Um, let's see, what else? Um, you know, with your pigs, always ask for your, your fat back and you can process it in the lard. I've never processed sheep fat, which I don't know what that's called, but sheep fat. Uh, but that might be something we do in the future just to see how it, how it turns out. Um, I'm trying to think of some other things that we wish we knew or we wish we could tell people. We always ask a lot of questions for new customers when they come through to us. Of, do you understand this? This is how our process is. This is what our animals are fed. You're welcome to come see the animals if you want. Now, not everybody offers that. Um, some of them view that as a time suck for having to be bring people in all the time to see the animals and, and, and whatnot, or maybe they it's just not worth their time to do it. They already have enough sales. Um, but we're open with that. If, that, if you want to come see how our pigs are raised, where they're raised, what they eat, come on out. Um, let's see. Or the sheep, for that matter. Some processors will allow you to, to observe their process. Some will not. It's just not like it's a tourist thing. It gets into health and safety as well of, you know, you're watching somebody else's meat get processed. We had a processor that would allow us to watch our own meat get processed, which was a, a pretty nice process to see what was done. And, and you learned a lot. Um, some processors will help you along and tell you how to make your product as a producer better. So... You know, if it's, let's say, a guinea hog, I'll give you another example. We had a 300-pound American guinea hog who was fed the same diet as a commercial meat pig. So your Tameworth, your Hampshires, your Durox, all those kinds. And when she went in, she weighed 300 pounds alive. So, you know, a decent-sized pig. We only got 60 pounds of sausage out of her. The rest of that was fat. So what you feed your animals and the breed of the animals can give you a considerably different output. Um, at that time, we didn't take the fat. Wish we would have. Um, but shoot, there was, you know, a guinea hog is a different type of pig same with coon coons and IPP pigs, which is Idaho pasture pigs. They're uh, magnalista. They're all lard-based pigs, and you're not going to get big, thick pork chops. You'll get pork chops, but they're going to be, you know, medallion size versus, you know, plate size. Um, you'll get a lot of lard. You'll get bacon out of both, but you won't get, you know, 10, 15 pounds of bacon type of thing. Um, so that's something that's important of I'd like to buy outside of beef. Well, what kind of beef? What What are your processes? You know, ask those kinds of questions. Um, there are no hormones. Well, I shouldn't say this. Not, not enough hormones. Um, most reputable farms 
there if they are ever given antibiotics to animal there is a withdrawal period before they can be processed and that like we don't use antibiotics unless it's a life-saving measure for an animal and then those are not to be processed for at least three to six months after even though the withdrawal period is less it might be a week or might be you know 48 hours and withdrawal period is what it takes for that medicine to get out of the animal system so that you're not eating it um so most reputable producers will not do that and some inspectors can see where they're injected i know for an instance when we've processed animals on farm because they just didn't survive from uh, an infection or an injury or something and we process them for dogs or whatnot you can tell by the meat color that they had an antibiotic injected not all antibiotics do this this is just this particular one um so you know when people want to claim hormone free antibiotic free all these all animals have hormones most animals are not given growth hormones i don't think any that i know of are and most local farms are not spending the money to do that um the hormone piece all animals have natural hormones um so that's not something that you can't say hormone free means they've not given any hormones to them now some uh, producers will use antibiotics in their feed which has now become um you have to have a vet prescription to do that and again it's case by case on how they're raised and their particular animal processes usually you see antibiotics in feed in like CAFO which is confined animal operations confined animal feed operations um, and that's in their feed to to give to them again there's typically withdrawal periods where they cannot sell they're not legally sell the meat or process them with antibiotics still in them um, nobody that I know of does this with antibiotics in the feed um, I take that back I do know one farm who does um, and it's for I think coccidiosis which is not something that would be transferable to people um, so like I said uh, the, the sheet I was looking at was the butcher kept my meat if you google that you'll get like a one page flyer and there's lots of great information and examples on there so that would help you as well oh I'm redoing it here because I'm kind of at a stop sign um, aging of meat so typically when an animal goes in it has to age for some period they don't cut it up the same day most places don't um, because cutting warm meat versus cutting chilled meat is a completely different process I learned this recently I didn't know that there was such a thing but having processed meat on the farm um, I can say I, I now realize yeah, yeah there is cutting a live warm animal up versus cutting one that's chilled or ha, you know when it's in a cooler month and you're allowed to hang to, to chill out is it's a different process um, but aging is something that you know how long do you want your meat to age if you don't know um, typically beef is like 7 to 21 days it just depends um, pork sometimes they'll hang them for a couple of days it's usually just to make them chilled so that they're easier to process um, sheep are about the same they, they hang them for like 7 days or so or less let's see um, I'm at my destination now um, there is a difference between lamb and mutton lamb is a usually younger than a year mutton is older than a year um, our because of the process we use on our farm or I guess in process the we raise them um, pretty much grass-fed only so our lambs go up to 18 months um, to get to reputable processing weight um, we've had some that have gone in at three years and still been great um, usually the older the animal the tougher the meat not always the case it just depends um, grass-fed versus grass um, corn-fed or corn-finished so grass-fed will have less fat on it um, corn-finished will give you some marbling and some fat 
This is for cows. Um, and then corn fed is going to have a lot of fat in it. Um, cows are meant to eat grass. That's why they have four stomachs. They're not meant to eat corn. Um, it's converted into fat. Um, for pigs, we've noticed that we do not like having soy in any of the feed or additives that we give to the pigs. Well, we were feeding them, um, and still are, food waste from food banks. Now, we're switching from our meat pigs to pasture pigs, which is the guinea hogs, and they pretty much eat pasture. Grass, um, bushes, they don't rototill like some of the other pigs, which a pig's rooting natural instinct, and the guineas are just a, it's a slower growth, but it also means we don't have to buy feed. They'll also get, you know, things from the kitchen and whatnot, waste products that we can't or don't want to give to dogs or maybe the chickens. Um, but we want to keep soy out of all of our, our pork. Um, the reason I say this is the soy gives a different texture and flavor to the fat. Um, you put soy in for uh, a protein source. Now, you can get pig feed that has no soy. You also pay for it higher because soy is the cheapest protein. For us, we've been using duckweed, azola, and water hyacinth as a protein source for our pigs, and they love it. And consequently, it's a byproduct from filtering the water in our aquaculture. So we've been experimenting this year with growing fish in above-ground pools. We were doing goldfish because they were cheap to start with, and you can get them a bunch just to see how it goes. So this was our trial year, and everything went well. We're putting in some more infrastructure to try and make it better, and then hopefully next year we're going to be working on catfish, bluegill, and perch in addition to goldfish. Now you don't goldfish is just a carp. We use the goldfish to sell live fish, so people can put them in their stock tanks or um, different troughs or you know ponds, whatnot, because they're pretty as opposed to koi. Um, but we use the water hyacinth to purify the water, and then water hyacinth is higher in protein than soy, and that protein is a different protein than the soy. Um, recently saw a study about how much estrogen is in a pound of tofu versus a pound of just regular beef or other meat products because people were saying there's so many hormones in them. Um, I want to say a pound of tofu was like 10,000 micrograms of estrogen where a pound of beef was like, uh, I don't know, I'm going to guess on the numbers was like 200 micrograms or something. Something ridiculously small compared to the amount that's in the soy. And I think that has something to do with the different profile of the fat in the pigs. Now, I didn't realize this until I went to a conference and um, a meat processor was there and explained it to me. And then we had, we did a side-by-side kind of comparison of the fat from um, meat-raised pigs that had, that got a soy-based diet. We've had somebody who um, raised them with typical pig feed versus our pigs who were fed on the you know, the food scrap, food waste from food banks, and it was night and day difference. Um, the pigs that were not fed soy, the, the meat, the uh, fat was solid. It was hard. Um, when it was grilled, it came out into like almost a meat type texture. It was very, um, I don't even know how to describe it, solid. Whereas the fat from the soy based pig, it was just gelatinous like goo. Um, we saw more of this in comparison of the uh, fat when it was processed for lard. Um, the non-soy would crumble in the meat grinder, whereas the non-soy would gum it up and turn it into like a paste. Um, the fat from in the sausages was granular and you could see it. The fat from the sausage on the soy base was uh, a gummy type consistency. So that's just our experience. 
I mean, if you don't notice and you don't care, that's that's all up to you. But I'm ex- sharing you some of the stuff we learned, what we know. Maybe you can ask your your processor or your farmer these kinds of questions and be better educated. Um, you know, something else you know that you need to understand is if you want a side of beef or pork, like for this weekend or this month. You need to get with your farmer way in advance. We have to, we as producers have to schedule these dates six months to a year in advance. There's, they're that booked up. Um, sometimes you can get in on cancellations or whatnot, but it also takes time to raise those animals. So unless you're just sitting around with animals in your lot waiting for somebody to come and buy them, that's feed that you're feeding the animals that you may or may not sell waiting on a customer. So if we know we have a customer, we'll bookmark those pigs or those cows or those sheep for them, and then we usually get two or three as a backup just in case something happens. You know, a sheep can get caught in a fence and die, or, you know, something can come up and, you know, the one, you know, out of five slotted ones that we had already booked, something may happen, so we always want to have a book up. That's our personal, you know, style. Um, you know, you don't want to have a booking with a farmer who only has four available and he's already got the next calves for next year, but something happens. A cow breaks a leg and ends up having to be put down and then you're left with a calf that's not full size. So, you know, ask those kinds of questions as well. Do you have a backup plan? Do you have enough to go in if something were to happen? Um, Sometimes farmers may get agitated by you asking these questions and if that's the case you probably don't want to go with them um you know we do have a lot on our plate to taking care of the animals and everything on the farm operations but if it's a customer that i want to keep and retain i want to answer all their questions the best i can and i want them to be an informed customer sometimes people have called and asked questions like hey i would like to get some sausage well we don't sell sausage so you know sorry but you could buy a whole pig and it'll be cheaper well, I just need some for, you know, this or that. Well, then I can recommend some other places, but that's not our cup of tea. Um, the reason we personally don't do individual sales is because you have to be permitted and licensed for it. So for 100 I think it's $125 a year, every year, we have to have a dedicated freezer just for sales of meat. None of our personal meat can be in there, and we have to have the state come out and inspect it or the, the local health department. And all they do is come in and stick a thermometer in it and say, yep, your freezer's at good temperature. No, you don't have any personal items in there, and then they're on their way. To me, that's not worth $125 a year because it's not a value-added service. So if I was going to sell cuts of meat, I would just do it to people I know, and they know that this is a good quality product. Um, but that, you know, we just don't do that off the end. Um we will sell our own stuff that we have possibly, just depends, give it away for people to try the difference from what uh, is in the stores. And a lot of times people are like, wow, that was night and day difference from what I've gotten before. So, you know, that's kind of something you should think about as well as, do you have something I can try before we sink some money into it? So, you know, going back to our example of the cow, 1,600 pound live weight plus processing, um, I think we ended up paying thirty. It was thirty-two hundred dollars to the farmer, so that's three thousand two hundred dollars at once for meat. Then another twelve hundred dollars in processing. So what are we at? Forty-five hundred dollars roughly for um, you know about a thousand pounds of meat and fat and bone. For us, that's about a year and a half worth of beef. So when you start putting that all out into numbers and how long is it going to last, we average about, I want to say, like $4 a pound for both beef, or for, for ground beef, steaks, roasts, everything. And what are steaks running for in the, in the store currently? Um, you know, grass-fed, grain-finished, knowing the farmer, local, uh, I want to say they're like 14 to $21 a pound, depending on where you go. And that's the steaks. Ground beef, I think it's like $4 a pound now. That's just like the, the Kroger brand. So, you know, think about that as well. It's a, 
a buy once, cry once kind of thing. It's a lot of money up front, but depending on what you get and how you get it, it, it can be a cost savings in the end. And then it's also, you know what happened to it, where it came from, what was going on, and you're supporting a local farm because if you're not going to support local farms, we're, we're dying out. And that's a, a, a sad thing that it's just getting cost prohibitive because everybody wants everything for super cheap. And the rules, the regulations, the, the feed costs, it's, it's getting up there. And, you know, we can't afford to keep up with inflation and everybody wants everything for nothing. So anyway, I see my, uh, my stop has opened up. I need to get in there and this is the Fat Man Farmer. We will talk to you again. Hopefully this was helpful information.